welcome to The Footprint 40, a podcast that gets under the skin of the sustainability issues affecting the food service sector. My name is Nick Hughes, Footprint's Associate Editor, and in each episode I'll be joined by my fellow Associate Editor David Burrows to chew over the news and views making the headlines in our industry, in company with a special guest. For our latest podcast, we were delighted to be joined by Ben Elliott, the government's food surplus and waste champion. You'll definitely want to hear Ben's insights on how he feels food service businesses are performing in tackling the scourge of food waste. The Footprint 40 is kindly sponsored by Myco UK, who are delighted to support the sharing of critical insights at a time when we must all rise to the challenge of protecting our planet. David, hello. How's things with you um, and what's been keeping you busy? I know you've been expressing exasperations, shall we say, about meat claims recently, haven't you? Yeah, Nick. Hi. Um, uh, Good to be back again. Um, uh, Unlike me to um, show exasperation at anything, surely. But uh, yeah, these um, it's something that that's been in my inbox for a little while and it's um, a campaign that's um, I see exactly what it's trying to do it's a plant-based meat uh, manufacturer called Hura and they were trying to just demonstrate the huge impact that that meat has um, in terms of greenhouse gas emissions and relate it to um, driving our cars Um, but I think it was just a mixed message I, I think we're sometimes we're trying too hard to um, to, to give people um, too much information. Uh, I, I think the message, the, the, the message was lost and I think people would just get, they'll just get confused about what exactly to do and whether they even think, well, you know, I, I'm not going to have a beef burger so I'm going to drive my car more um, or, or, you know, um, it, it, to, to the same extent, you know, I'm, I'm doing all I can to recycle so... Uh, I, I'm not going to go on a flight. Uh, oh, I'm going to go on a flight rather. It's. Um, I think people are desperately confused about uh, all, all this. Um, so yeah, that's been keeping me uh, busy as well as uh, uh, as well as this um, investigation into into better meat that you and I are working on at the moment. Yes, absolutely. And, and uh, if, if any listeners aren't aware, uh, Footprint Intelligence will will shortly be publishing a report. Looking at what do we mean by better meat, um, and it's uh, it's certainly a, a phrase that I think has uh, has become part of the narrative around meat, less eating less meat and eating better meat, um, but really trying to unpick what does that mean in a food for service context, because I think it's not always um, fully understood, and uh, and actually it's it's quite it's contested as well. Let's not forget. So um, that's something that is coming down the track. Um, and related to that, uh, from my perspective, I've, I've been looking at public procurement this week um, off the back of a pretty pretty punchy report by the EFRA committee in April, um, which basically said that current uh, buying standards are not driving higher standards of procurement in relation to things like the environment and health and, and quality and animal welfare. Um, and they basically said the whole system needs an overhaul. Um, so um, that's something that the government, we understand, are looking at this summer um, and will certainly be a focus for Henry Dimbleby's um, food strategy, the second part of that, which is due in July, we understand. Um, so lots, you know, lots of potential for the public sector to drive improvements, not just in meat purchasing, 
Um, but all uh, all foods uh, where where quality and environment and welfare are concerned, but but that opportunity not quite being taken at the moment. Yeah, I was going to say because I before we um, uh, spoke to Ben, I was looking at um, uh, your piece and also you know, whether there's anything to do with food waste in the government buying standards. And actually there is. Um, And, you know, it says, you know, according to the standards, food and catering suppliers with off-site meal preparation operations shall provide evidence of a systemic approach to managing and minimising the impacts of waste throughout their direct operations. And there's also various stipulations for those providing on-site catering services as well. So I, you know, I wonder how many um, are actually doing this because um, if they were, surely we'd have much richer data about the amount of food waste that's coming from food service and hospitality, at least in the in the public sector domain. Absolutely, and this this plays to a broader point that was picked up in the EFRA report about just a lack of monitoring of adherence to the buying standards and also a lack of enforcement. Um, and, and that applies across all different indicators. Um, and, it, and it's an issue with food waste. And this is something that we touched on with Ben um, and we shall, we shall hear that discussion shortly. Um, but it was a fascinating conversation. Um, what, what did you take out of it, David, uh, predominantly? Yeah, I, I, it was a great conversation. Um, and, you know, there was so much more that we could have un, uh, unpacked. You know, we didn't even touch upon packaging and how, how that's impacted on food waste with people reverting back to single use and whether, um, you know, the moves to reuse and refill will increase food waste. Um, we don't really know yet, although I believe there's research coming down the line from rap on that. But I, I thought it was interesting when Ben was talking about the whether to use the stick or the carrot, especially given the past 12 months for hospitality, because uh, that's going to be a real challenge, I think, is, is balancing that. Um, and so that opened discussions uh, uh, around, you know, not only the environmental benefits, but the cost benefits um, of, of reducing food waste. Um, so I think, yeah, those were, uh, I think those were a couple of the areas that that, that I thought were really useful because I think there's going to be, I don't know about you, Nick, but I think there's going to be a lot of focus on on whether these voluntary agreements, um, of, of which Courthold 2025 is one, can deliver the kind of food waste reductions that we need in order to get on track for, you know, 50% reduction in, in carbon emissions by 2030 and net zero by 2050. I mean, my feeling is wrapped bowl is maybe a little bit half full at the moment and is, is struggling a bit to get the traction. Um, so I don't know whether you feel that, you know, now's the, now's the best time as, as businesses are opening up. Yes, I, I, I think so. And I think one thing that wrap um, has has publicised and, and can point to as a success is the big increase in the amount of food being redistributed in the past year. Um, it's, yes. um, and it's tripled in the past five years. So that's clearly, you know, there's a positive story to be told here around the expansion of capacity from, from redistribution organisations and also the growth in the amount of surplus food that businesses are making available. Um, and clearly, lockdown over the past year will have contributed to that. Um, we, we've written uh, 
quite a lot about the impact on hospitality businesses of lockdowns being enforced and then relaxed, often at short notice, and businesses being left with huge surpluses of food. Um, but you know, ben, Ben's obviously been been championing championing those redistribution efforts and, and clearly doing so quite successfully. Um, and it's clearly very welcome news that, given the challenges people have had accessing food in the past year, um, and it's much better that that food is redistributed than ends up in landfill or even in AD. One thing I do just wonder, and we didn't we didn't touch on this in the conversation, but whether we should be mindful of the risk that charitable redistribution of food almost becomes institutionalised as a solution to food waste, when arguably it shouldn't be any more than a short-term sticking plaster. You know, I think most people would agree that we don't want any people um, to have the indignity of having to rely on charity for food. We want to reach the point where all households are able to afford to buy their own food and make their own food choices. Um, you know, food waste and food insecurity, they're, they're two discrete problems with their own separate drivers. Um, and yes, one can be used to, to address the other, but I just worry that by doing that in the short term, ultimately, you end up finding long-term solutions to neither. Um, so just a point to, you know, almost to sort of uh, pre-frame the conversation uh, that we had with Ben. But, but as I said, it's a fascinating discussion. And let's listen to that now. Ben, welcome. It's great to have your company. Uh, for listeners who aren't so familiar with the work you've been doing on food waste, perhaps you can just start by summarising your background and, and in particular your role as the government's food waste and surplus champion um, and the nature of some of the work you're currently involved with. Thanks, Nick. Um, it's a bit of a mouthful, government's food waste and surplus champion, and it, it's a pretty broad remit. Uh, I have absolutely no experience um, or professional experience um, whatsoever to do this um, role, other than than I was an enthusiastic, relentlessly enthusiastic volunteer for a food waste um, uh, charity um, in 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 London. And uh, like many people, and maybe many of um, people who perhaps are listening, um, I thought it was increasingly morally reprehensible that you would have this extraordinary amount of surplus and uh, a huge amount of need on the other side. So what, what I spent most of my time doing was um, galvanising um, volunteers, uh, corporates, um, third parties to get behind what, what at the time was an embryonic uh, food waste charity in London called the Felix Project. And when, when I met them, it was set up by somebody I knew um, who, in honour of his late son or their late son, felt... Um, they needed to do something as a positive remembrance um, uh, for their son's life. And so I just started driving a van. And, and what I did is that I knocked on um, retailers and manufacturers and, and uh, hospitality groups, which I knew in my commercial life, and said, you need to, to get involved. And, and that, that project, which is called the Felix Project, just to be clear, which is no different from many other um, redistributors, although they exclusively at the moment um, work in London, is no different from many of the other redistributors that we find across the UK. And, you know, what is amazing about that um, philanthropic model is that the costs are unbelievably low. So the vans are supplied by Renault, they're predominantly electric, the, the volunteers um, are volunteering, you know, there's, uh, there's now a larger central overhead cost. And 
um, all of the food, which you know I, I and many others are picking up from um, the doorsteps or at the end of shifts of retailers and manufacturers or restaurants, would then literally be distributed to those community groups, those volunteer groups that needed it. And what is amazing, but also galling at exactly the same time, when we started about four years ago, like many small charities or small businesses, it was probably doing around three to 400,000 um, extra meals distributed in London, which seemed at the time a lot. I've just looked at their figures um, um, uh, for, for March. They did nearly 3.2 million meals redistributed in one month alone in London. They only have two depots. And, and I'm sure um, your listeners will know um, larger groups which have, during this pandemic, got you know, um, more airtime like Fair Share, which are uh, um, redistributing in terms of the whole of the UK. But um, so to answer in a long-winded fashion, it came from an enthusiastic passion to spread the redistribution model across the UK. And I lobbied hard um, the then Secretary of State, Michael Gove, who I knew a bit, and said, look, hang on, this is something that central government, which was in other countries... Um, was thinking about putting funds together to support small, medium and large redistributors. This is something you need to think about, not just because of the um, environmental um, implications, but also the fact that the UK government, like other governments, has, has signed up um, to the United Nations commitment to reduce food waste by half. And so I started by doing the redistribution stuff and then I found the, the, it's a Pandora's box and I've spent an enormous amount of time with retailers, manufacturers, hospitality groups and then understandably the largest challenge is when food actually comes into our houses which I know is not what necessarily you want to talk about today but I have some experience of banging my head against a brick wall on some of that although we're making some small progress. That's really interesting Ben. I, I, just Picking up on that sort of banging your head against brick walls, I wonder how how easy or difficult has it been to sort of open doors into hospitality businesses to talk about food waste and some of the work that you're doing. Has it has it got easier? Is it more difficult? Obviously, the pandemic has uh, has maybe um, changed the focus of some. Well, um, I found with hospitality groups. It um, the the antithesis of, of banging my head against a brick wall, because I really have. And um, as you know, I think in terms of uh, hospitality, in terms, of, I think it accounts for eleven percent of a uh, of food waste. But I haven't met a small, medium, or large operator that isn't focused exclusively or obsessively on margins. And if you're, I mean, we can talk about the pandemic in a second, but. Whether it's a chef, a, a commie in the in the kitchen, or a school dinner lady, or you know something you know, on a larger level in terms of the large catering firms, I've never ever met anyone who thinks that that just having f- food waste is a good thing. So you start from a kind of positive place. Whereas some of the other groups, it's more difficult if you think about the farming community and even the manufacturing. It's difficult to measure some of that stuff. When, 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 when it's to do with kind of the food supply um, uh, chain and you think about how who's ordering, whether you're a small restaurant or a catering company, um, even in the last three years, a lot of those organisations have become unbelievably good and specific about that. Technology has advanced some of that as well. But I was even thinking, you know, here we are talking on uh, as the G7 has started in Cornwall, and I was thrilled to see that the British chef Adam Handling is is doing a lot of the 
um, the menus. And as you know, every restaurant he operates, and I work with him um, in the redistribution space, he has a zero waste policy on food, zero waste. So I thought it was amazing to think that those seven heads of nation, as they're sitting down to their breakfast, perhaps, might, and I don't know if this is the case, but might on the menu have some small instruction that actually all of the food that is there is maybe one locally sourced, but two um, uh, is being, um, there'll be kind of zero waste there. And the good thing about the UK, and we beat ourselves up, um, you know, rightly so, a lot of the time, is we are leading on some of this stuff. I know you might think that's pretty galling when um, the amount of waste I mean, and, and we know that we've got to, in nine years' time, by 2030, is cut it. But we're doing an okay job. And, and, um, but, and I think when it comes to hospitality groups, I spoke to lots of them, as I'm sure you have. This last year, in an environment, in, a, in an industry, which is unbelievably challenging anyway, when you think of the costs of rents and the increase in rates, I mean, some restaurants, and uh, I have friends and people I've come across, I'm sure you have too, where for seven months, they're fighting for their absolute survival. I mean, the uncertainty in terms of whether they're being locked down, opened up, has meant that they're, you know, this, they, this, is, a, this is an awful time. And for them to be, for us as, as, as me in the kind of this champion role, or even deaf or rap or, or other people, to be lo- going harder than at the moment... I think is um, you have to be bloody careful because uh, you, some of these businesses, uh, and it's a tough business when you think from a margin and how hard people work, they're not going to survive. Those landlords, as you know, in, what is it, 20 days' time, that you know people are unsure because of this June the 21st to the June the 21st, whether they are going to have to pay this month's rent or this quarter's rent. And... I don't know with you, there are some restaurant groups that have um, have seen since May the 17th a kind of Christmas-like kind of takings. I mean, from small pub operators to large ones. I'm hearing even with the, you know, the, the rule of six and some of those things, that the pent-up demand of people wanting to get out of their houses and, and spend, you know, not sit opposite their, their family perhaps, um, uh, again and go out to a restaurant it's, it, what we've realised is how much we love it, how much we as a country have become obsessed by it um, and so uh, to answer again in a long winded fashion, I think that the hospitality sector is doing the right thing, I think that they have, when we set up this initiative called Step Up to the Plate which was in May uh, 2019 um I didn't find any of the conversations I had with the purchasing directors or the CEOs, I didn't find any of them as difficult as I did in um, with some of the retailers. Um, the, the question is, and, and I'd be interested to know your views, um, the, the government is on the... Oh. Sorry. Somebody telephoned me. Uh, the the government um, is um, spending uh, uh, time c- consulting with industry about whether there should be mandatory food waste reporting, and I don't know how it's it, it fits, and nobody's been able to explain to me how it fits explicitly to the hospitality industry, and. 
I think mandatory reporting at the moment, I think 50% of the big retailers already now reporting uh, what they do with um, um, surplus. And, and, and if you think about Tesco, the largest retailer in our land has done a, you know, an excellent job in, in, in getting their own house in order and getting their supplier's house in order. But when it comes to hospitality, my feeling is um, the, the, the custom of kind of doggy bags, you know, I, I think those things, we need to, to make them popular again. I think it needs to become fashionable. I think that the challenge also is um, that the millennial generation, when you look at the data, they are the ones who are wasting more food than, than uh, many others. And yet they are the ones, when they're polled in terms of their environmental concerns, haven't, and I'm sure they're all very intelligent, forward-thinking people, necessarily made the connection between uh, food waste and, and carbon emissions. As you know, in terms of this country, uh, food waste is the equivalent of all the carbon emissions that comes from every third motor car on our road. And so, um, I don't. I, I don't know. What, I'd be interested to know what you think um, um, hospitality sh- should do, um, other than, other than um, the bigger groups uh, having to report stuff. But if you're a small restaurant or a small restaurant chain, um, and I've met probably as you have the Sustainable Restaurant Association, it seems that in all the conversations I have, for two reasons: one, they're responsible people; but two, because they're so focused on margins. Um, that that they're doing a good job, and I would you know enthusiastically commend them, particularly at this appallingly difficult time for them. Yes, well, that's good to hear. And, and the th- hospitality has unique challenges insofar as if you can get five, six, seven of the biggest supermarkets on board um, with a, with a, with a policy or an initiative, you've covered eighty percent of the market pretty much. With hospitality. It's so fragmented, diverse. Um, you know, you get. Of course, there are big companies within that sector, um, but you, it's so so difficult to reach into the the, the SMEs and the and the and those smaller businesses um, and and drive the kind of um, change in the kind of volumes that you can do through retail. So, the data piece, I think, is really really difficult it's one of the things we consistently hear when it comes to food service not just around waste reporting but around sugar or salt consumption for instance it's about how do you generate meaningful accurate quality data for the out-of-home sector Um, and it is behind retail in terms of the quality and accuracy of that data and there are good reasons for that Uh, and I know rappers face this challenge on food waste so when we, we last covered, I believe, David, it was in about October last year, wasn't it? RAP's most recent update. Yeah. Um, and there was just one food service operator, Baxter Story. Yeah, I know, I know them well. They're excellent. Yeah. Uh, and, they're, and they're, you know, very progressive company. Um, and, uh, and Mike Hansen there drives this agenda very, very well. Uh, and they were the only one publicly reporting at that, that stage. Now, more might have joined since then. We spent a lot of time speaking to groups like Compass, as you'd imagine, some of the large ones. I didn't feel in any of the conversations and even the follow-up with the DEFRA team and the RAP team uh, that they were resistant to it. But um, I think the point you make, and I I don't have the data to hand, is the split between how much of this um, 
relates exclusively to SMEs and smaller groups and, and, and those things. And if you think about just our country and you think about food waste, as just I'm sure you've thought about it. We became a nation that started eating out much later than perhaps we all think. I mean, if you think about the, the food waste um, as an issue, post-war, well, the rationing, there wasn't much around. You know, you had this kind of traditional kind of 1950s shopping habits in terms of the, the usually, and, and you know, the, the mother of the house would, would, would do a shopping list for the week and, and shop through local, no supermarkets, would go to the butcher, the baker in, in that way and, and meal plan. And, and, and if you think about the avalanche of food waste, it happens um, in the 1980s as we get into kind of consumerism and, and, and the changing of farming. And, and then what you see since then is just uh, um, food prices going down and down and down. But if you look equate in the UK compared to France, for instance, we don't venerate food as much, or Japan. I mean, somebody told me that the Japanese spend 19% of their weekly household income on food. Uh, the French apparently sometimes, or you know, around 12 to 13%. We and the Americans, it's around 6 to 7%. Now, there are reasons um, for that, but um, what happened is, is as, as um, food prices became lower, also, you see this, this, this huge amount of, of, of us becoming a nation that likes to go and eat out. I think eating out is the, other than going on holiday, is I think that when you ask people, is the, the, the pleasure that they, that they want to have most. And with that, I mean, I don't think people, and I'd be interested you know, in terms of food waste, four or five years ago, I don't think this was a subject that people really discussed. I mean, it, it's only... Um, as food poverty has become more of an issue, and you know you've seen campaigns like Rashford's campaign with Fair Share, uh, that you know this is becoming a bigger discussion. But when you think, I mean, I got two young sons. I don't know if you've got any children. They can explain to me. One is six and one is eight, and you know primary school kind of level. They can explain to me quite eloquently, and they're not the most eloquent <laughs> children. Recycling. They can totally explain it. You know, they've watched stuff at school, they've seen stuff. And the challenge that we have as a society as a whole, all the actors, not just the hospitality, is how we, how we get younger generations, you know, to think in a different way about this, about what they eat, how much they throw away, what the consequences of that. And we, we did this food waste action week, which hospitality was involved with, even though they were basically shuttered. And we wanted to send it, Nadia Hussein um, led this in March of this year, but... We wanted to centre it on 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 schools and to run competitions, and we wanted you know the the, the schools um, uh, who did the, the companies or individuals that did the catering to get engaged. And it's been very very difficult to 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 to, to get people to to think about this. Maybe because it's been such a ghastly time for so many people that this is lower down the list of priorities. The only two times we've really seen, as you know, food waste really go down in this country uh, was one after the financial crisis where people, they found, you know, they found it, they didn't have enough money in their pockets or more worried about it. And we did see some unbelievably encouraging trends in the first six months of the, of the pandemic in 2020. But it seems now that people have forgotten some of that stuff. And my job, 
wherever possible, and I've only got so many hours in the day, is to try and get different actors across and stakeholders to, to enthuse about this. And I'd interest in your views. Sometimes we did this kind of galling, this is, the, this is how bad it is. You know, this is, and, we, and, and government, and it's going to have to take a stick to you. But the more I've been doing this, I feel that you have to think about enthusing and, and the carrot. And if you could get children to start thinking about it. I mean, this weekend, the largest selling newspaper, Sunday newspaper, is starting a food waste campaign on the hottest day of the year. It's going to be the hottest day of the year this year. And barbecues. Barbecues are orgies of excess. If you think about it, how many buns and sausages and all of these things. Now, what we should be thinking about, if that is the big barbecue, then the, the food that is left over should be something on Monday. We should have a kind of national leftovers day every week. It would change things. And we should celebrate that in the same way there's a kind of meat for eat Monday and, and, and those things. Now, the difficulty with the hospitality sector is they want to, understandably, and I know it's a quieter, you know, if you think about the week, uh, the takings usually go up as you go into the weekend. They, particularly after this pandemic, want to sell as much stuff to as many people as possible. Why wouldn't they? they you know, that's... And, uh, and so this job, as you can imagine, is quite difficult balancing some of those things, whereas I feel people in the hospitality industry are really really challenged and and are really doing a good thing and then at the same time what how do you enthuse people to change their behavior now some behavior as you've seen is is you have to maybe legislate i mean that's this whole thing in terms of mandatory um, reporting but be interested to know your views on those things just to pick up on a couple of points there, Ben, I think some some really interesting thoughts around the just briefly on the the data as well as Nick mentioned. You know, with any with any environmental improvement you're trying to make, you've got to start by knowing where you are and measuring it. Um, and there were, yeah, yeah, exactly. And you know, we ran a, um, a responsible business recovery forum, a series of them uh, last year. And we were talking about sustainable reporting and food waste data. And one of the caterers there, um, uh, and I pulled out the quote here, um, we were asking about, you know, why it only backs the story, basically, that's, that, that, that's uh, publishing that data. And they said, um, well, basically, um, we haven't reported on public, uh, publicly on food waste because, to be frank, our data has been nonsense, and they're just using estimates. So they're really worried, I think, um, about putting that data out there that makes them look bad. Well, yes. I mean, and also there's that other thing is, is I'm always nervous about people marking their own homework, right? And, and you can mark it. But the, the thing is, is, and you've seen some of the technological advances that could, could you know, if you were an organised, responsible organisation that could... Um, could give you that information but you're right um you're right it it takes um the Baxter stories and and you know some some of those organizations to lead and in the same way Tesco led others have followed and uh, you know what I would say if, if there's anyone listening it you know I'm pretty sure um in some of the the seminars we've done if people are don't feel they understand or don't know how to do it we can either rap or defra or even some of these sustainable restaurant associations or catering groups 
there are some, you know, there's, it's not rocket science, this. It's not rocket science. I mean, that's, I'm, I know everyone, you know, when they wake up in the morning, got lots of things to do. But if you think about it, let's just take a, a, a simple restaurant. I mean, if you would go and see Adam Handling, uh, he, yeah, I don't know, I think he has four or five restaurants, high-end restaurants. He and um, his chefs do the buying. They plan their menus. They make sure that all of the things that they don't use can be used in, in the menu the next day and, and so on. The other thing, and I don't know what you think about this, is, is portion sizes. I mean, I know, um, David, you're fascinated by uh, packaging, but portion sizes compared to what we used to eat 20 years ago are gargantuan. So you, you know, the amount that is actually, I mean, you know the story in terms of the potato, of, 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 of 100 potatoes in our field that are farmed. I mean, how many do you think we actually eat by the time it gets to, uh, you know, a chain of restaurants or um, or an individual restaurant? I mean, how many how many how many potatoes do you think are left in that whole process? Shall I go for go on? At sixty five. Sixty five. That's David Nick. Oh, it's like play your cards right, isn't it? I'll go lower. Fifty. Okay, fifty. Gentlemen, it's twenty five. It's twenty five. Wow. So that's from the, from the you know and and in terms of stuff that's thrown away, stuff that doesn't look right, stuff that you know you don't want. So imagine the energy that goes into growing that potato, watering it, taking it from the farm, getting it to you in your kitchen, you screwing up in terms of cutting the chips in the wrong way, you serving too many chips, that child not wanting chips, you know. I mean, I mean the big thing. I mean on a household level. If, if we could do one thing only this year is when you buy a loaf of bread, a th- the last third is the one that we all chuck away. Well, put it in the freezer and guess what? You can have it as toast the next the next week. I mean, it's simple stuff and it would change this debate completely. It would. And, and my view, where behaviour change is concerned, uh, I don't think chiding people and, and bombarding them with figures around, you know, the climate impact and uh, of food waste and... It, I'm not sure it necessarily resonates. I think a much more kind of utilitarian approach saying this is what you can, you know, you can save yourself money. Like you say, freeze your bread. It's good for another week. Use your barbecue leftovers. You've got Monday's meal. Um, All this kind of stuff. Well, Nick, what it it actually means is the equivalent on a household level of basically about £900. That's a family holiday for somebody, right? And probably at the moment, a family holiday might be a bit cheaper at the moment because of the pandemic. But if you think about it, so that's that. I mean, also that statistic, which you, which you know, of every um, every three bags of food we we buy, you, me, David, um, although you're unbelievably responsible, good citizens, and I try to be, one of them gets thrown away. It's mad. And it's the same for businesses in a commercial setting. You know, it's it's money down the drain if you're not using the food that you're purchasing. Um, it's not, you know, this is, we're not appealing to, to businesses and people's morality here. We don't have to. It's a, there's commercial rationale for making the most out of the food that you're purchasing. I, I think you're spot on there, mate. I think the commercial rationality on the hospitality sector, usually they are very responsible people, the people that work and have chosen this to be their, their livelihood. I, you know, I'm, so, yeah, I agree with you. I don't think you can do the finger wagging. Uh, and there's there's more money to be saved in hospitality, arguably, than than retail and manufacturing. Because if you look at some of the figures, 
Um, then even though hospitality, the, the, the food waste is, is less in terms of volume than retail and manufacturing, the value of it is higher than retail and manufacturing put together, £2.9 billion versus £2.2 billion. Um, so it's, you know, it's, there's even greater savings potentially here for, for food service businesses. Yes. So um, what do we do, folks? We have to, um, as the pandemic, God willing, eases, we have to, and some of those groups and catering groups, roar back to life, God willing. We have to just enthusiastically um, uh, champion good practice. And the ones that um, don't feel they don't have the information, uh, it's up to all of us to try and um, gently push them in the right direction, knowing that they're, Profit margins would be different if they thought about some of these things in a more organised um, fashion. And that feels like an excellent place to end things on. The time has absolutely raced by. And, and Ben, thank you so much for taking the time. Fascinating insights. And, and, and congratulations on the work you have been doing and I'm sure will continue to do. Try to. And, and thank you, gentlemen. Um, so it's up to all of us. It's a collaborative effort. A huge thank you to our guest, Ben Elliott, and thank you to Maiko for your support in making these podcasts possible. This podcast was produced by the Footprint Media Group. To find out more, visit foodservicefootprint.com. Thanks for listening.